Welcome to Providence Road. My name is Jeremy. I'm one of the pastors here at the church. We are really, really glad that you're here this morning. I'm going to read the text we're going to be in today. This will be Matthew 2, verses 1 through 18. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when, he, when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, so for it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For, far from, for from you shall come a ruler who, who will be shepherd my people Israel." Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell, until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw what had been tricked, that he'd been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two year olds or two year old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud in lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you. This time of year comes around, and we're thinking about your first coming and anticipating your second coming. I thank you. You've clearly revealed yourself to us in your word. You've given us all we need in your word to, to be clear on what happened and to be able to worship you in light of what's happened. So as we look at this story today, I just ask that you would open our minds and open our hearts to receive what you want to tell us through your word. And that it would, the word would challenge us. It would be convicting. It would encourage us. It would give us hope. And it would just um, recalibrate and focus um, our minds during this time of year. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> so, uh, again, welcome to Providence Road. We're really, really glad that you're here, especially if you're a guest with us. We're really glad that you're here. We're, 
We're glad that you would choose to spend a Sunday morning worshiping with us here at Providence Road. And this morning we're continuing on in our Advent series. And in this series, we've been looking at different people, um, persons or people, um, in the birth narrative of Jesus. Okay, and looking at the gospel story, the, the story of Jesus coming to earth through the eyes of different people. First week we looked at Mary. The second week we looked at Joseph. Last week we looked at the shepherds. And this week we're going to look at uh, the, the wise men or the magi and Herod. And we're going to primarily look at those two. And, and because their stories are um, really entwined in this chapter, you'll see. And you can't really look at one without looking at the other. So today we're going to take um, Herod and the wise men. And you'll, uh, you'll see paintings around the room. I just want to call your attention. There's two over here and one over here. And those paintings are for the last three weeks of, of the Advent series. And today our, our talented and gifted um, painter and artist Brad Price is doing uh, the fourth one. And so he's been doing those all series. And today he'll, uh, he'll be painting again for the fourth painting. And uh, the reason why we did this was just to give us another element of worship. We know that a lot of you are visual people. And so it doesn't hurt every once in a while to give another element of worship for you to focus on and dwell on and think about um, while we're um, singing and, and while we're opening the word and talking. So feel free to glance over there and look and, and allow um, that to stir your mind for the things of the gospel and the things of the word as I uh, walk through this passage. So one of the important things to remember when we're looking at the Christmas story is that God, in his word, it, it, this is his word, and these are his words, and he reveals himself to us through different authors. And he um, speaks through these authors who have different backgrounds, different intellects, different stories, and he's intentionally done this. And so when we see the Christmas story, we see Luke, who primarily focuses on obviously Jesus, but spends a lot of time on Mary and Jesus' cousin John and how he was born as well. And then Luke also focuses on the shepherds. And then you get over to Matthew, and he focuses on Jesus, obviously, and on Mary. Not as much as Luke does with Mary. But Matthew really focuses on Joseph. And he also focuses a lot on uh, these wise men and Herod, where Luke doesn't spend um, time on that. So when we're approaching any text of Scripture, um, especially one like this, we should ask, well, well, what was Matthew's point? What was his purpose? He was trying to get across in what he wrote. And we get a clue very early on in verse 1 of this chapter. Verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? So Matthew's focus, he wants us to immediately focus on these foreigners. <laughs> he says foreigners have come from the east um, to, to talk to Herod. Okay, so they're foreigners. They're not Jews. They're from the east. Gives us a direction there to make sure that we know these people probably came from far away. It's interesting that Matthew begins his gospel with this. And then in chapter 28, at the end of his gospel, um, he has a couple of verses that say, um, All authority has been given to me. This is Jesus talking. and Go make disciples of all nations. So it seems like a theme in Matthew is that Jesus is a savior to all nations. And he's clear on what he tells us here and at the end of Matthew that the grace and mercy and love of God are open to all nations, all tribes, all races. doesn't matter what country you're in. Jesus' grace and mercy are available and open to all kinds of groups of people. And so it's interesting that Matthew from verse 1 here starts off with this. 
Then we get these, the, the, these people that came from the east. The, my translation says magi. Yours may say wise men. And really, this is what the original languages are trying to get at here. Is it's just kind of a, a group term for these guys who were astrologers and philosophers and who were into magic. All of these kind of groups of <coughs> thought, um, thoughts and disciplines, they, they, they were studiers of these kinds of things. And so they just kind of call them wise men. That's how we'll refer to them today as, as wise men. Um, multidiscipline, probably pretty smart, into the supernatural. And if you read history around this time, there was a fairly large group of people who, who kind of bought into these things and were studiers and, and were curious about these things. Most people think they're probably from Babylon. Um, and some of them were phony charlatans who were just in it for themselves and to pull the wool over people's eyes and to make money for themselves maybe. But it seems like these guys, at least the ones who came to Herod, were really seeking the truth. They had been, they, they're obviously well-read of other probably religions and, and, and faiths at the time because they knew something about the prophecy. We don't, Matthew doesn't tell us anything before this. It just says that they came seeking um, the king of the Jews. So if they're not Jews, how would they have known that this was coming? Well, probably because they had read some Old Testament prophecy. They were probably well-versed in these things. They were Gentiles, and they were unclean. They were considered unclean by the Jews according to the ceremonial law. So these are foreigners from the East. And it's interesting that God, in the Christmas story, Luke and Matthew, God, and all throughout the Bible, but God uses things to bring people to see and to worship Jesus. He uses a star to get people there. He uses shepherds. He uses the, the, the census, the one time a year that would have been most, uh, that this area would have been most crowded would have been the time of the census. So Jesus is born during the census. So the most people would have a chance to come and hear about Jesus. God does this throughout all of the scriptures. He will use things, especially the physical universe, to, to show Jesus to the world at specific times and specific places. As we continue on in this story, the, the main thing I think to focus on, though, is that there are three types of people in this story. And we're going to look at those three types of people. And each one of these people respond to the news of Jesus coming differently. Okay, so let's look at verse 2. The Magi, or the wise men, say, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So you have these wise men who've come to worship Jesus, okay? They've come to worship him. And when, when Herod hears about this, hears what they have to say, it says he becomes troubled. It says he becomes troubled. So the magi on the one hand, the wise men, are wanting to worship Jesus. And this news about Jesus actually troubles Herod. You have two different reactions here. You can imagine if you put yourself in the place of Herod, you're sitting in your palace on your throne these guys walk in that maybe were a little weird, but at least they were probably fairly smart and well-read. And they come in and say, hey, we've heard about the king. Where's the king at? And you're, you're the king and you're sitting on the throne. 
This kid produced a lot of worry, anxiety. He's troubled. He's probably jealous. He's thinking, okay, something has to be done about this. There's now a conflict within Herod. Um, and then you can kind of almost see it happening. He calls his, his, his experts on what's going on. Hey, chief priests, scribes, hey, come in. Tell me what you know. Tell me how this is happening. Tell me who this is. Is this really uh, the Messiah that's come? He wants to know all these things. And I think it's very interesting that these guys, the religious leaders, the guys who for their whole lives, they were all about studying the Old Testament texts, and they were awaiting the Messiah. This was their thing. They were, wait, they were waiting the Messiah to come. And when Herod asked them, it, it seems like it's very matter-of-factly that they give him this answer like, oh, well, you know, here, here's, here's the prophecy. Here's what this is probably referring to. Just two, two verses there. And then they just completely drop out of the story. You don't hear from the religious leaders again in this particular story. And so it doesn't say they went with the wise men. You'd think if they knew that this could be the Messiah, they would go with the, the wise men and go with them. But it doesn't say that. It just seems, they just seem to drop out of the story. So I feel like it's very almost shocking. They're shockingly ambivalent to this news when Herod asked them. So I think that's one way that people can respond is just ambivalence to the news of, of Jesus. Ambivalence, they don't seem to care. Now, neither the wise men or Herod um, are observers of the Jewish religion. They're, they're, they haven't been sitting around waiting for the Messiah to come. That wasn't their deal. But one of them responds in worship, and the one group of people responds in worship, and Herod, the complete opposite. So what's happening? What, what's causing them internally to have these two different reactions? Okay? So that's the question we're going to ask this morning. Why do people respond in different ways when they hear the news of Jesus or they're confronted with who Jesus is? You have the wise men who worshipped. You have Herod who was troubled. We see in the story that that troubling uh, turns into rage. And then third, you have these religious leaders who were completely indifferent, ambivalent, didn't seem to care. Matthew doesn't even mention them anymore of these, these two verses that they share with Herod. And I think it's important for us to understand how we respond to Jesus and how different people respond to Jesus. Over the course of a whole life, how we respond to Jesus, but also how we respond to Jesus in a day-to-day -day basis. And I think these three ways are the three ways a human, any human, can respond to Jesus. I think it does change the way we view Jesus, especially this time of year during Christmas, if we understand what causes some people to worship him and what causes some people to absolutely lose their mind and do horrific, evil things when they hear this news. Let's look at verse 7 and keep going and look at these two, these two uh, groups of people, Herod and the wise men. It says that Herod summoned the wise men secretly, after he got more information, and ascertained from them what, the, what time the star had appeared. He's trying to line up the timeline here. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying... Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So the wise men, they responded in worship. 
They, they knew enough about Jesus, I guess from previous reading or God revealing himself to them, to know this child would become who we know he becomes. And they worshipped him. They fell down before him. That's one way, obviously, we show honor to someone that we're worshiping is we fall down before him in their presence. It says they fall down before him. And it says they, they rejoice with exceedingly great joy. Okay, like you can't say you're any happier or any more joyful than that. The point that Matthew's trying to get across is these guys were joyful, they were happy, they were content, and they absolutely fell down and worshiped Jesus just by hearing the good news. This, Jesus is, this is a baby, but they knew from reading and God revealing it to them that he would become Savior. Um, one interesting thing, too, I thought was one, you, you see that when, when the Magi show up in Jerusalem to talk to Herod, um, Jerusalem, remember, is where the temple's at at this time. This is the center of Jewish life. Up until Jesus is coming, this is where God, God's presence um, revealed himself. This is where people came to worship and make sacrifice. And they had the story, Matthew makes sure that we know that they had incense. They had gifts. They were prepared to worship. And it's an interesting picture that they walk right by the temple, the place that everyone else would have taken this stuff to worship. They walk right by the temple, five more miles out of town, and worship this baby. And it's an interesting just picture of what's to come. They, they skipped the temple and went straight to Jesus. Just an interesting thing there. I think Matthew makes sure we see that. Let's, let's see how Herod responds now. Verse 12. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, <clears throat> they departed to their own country by another way. And when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, Take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet out of Egypt, I call my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had become tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem in all that region who were two, year old, two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. So what Herod's doing, he's trying to trick the wise men, obviously, into giving them all the information possible, the exact location, so Herod could go or send his top assassins to go and kill Jesus. Let's say he just wants to wipe Jesus out, make sure that his throne's not threatened, make sure the thing that is most precious to him is not threatened by Jesus being king in this world now. So he's trying to trick the Magi, but the angel comes to the Magi, the wise men, warning them, hey, don't go back through Jerusalem, go a different way. Go a different way home. And Herod figures out that he's been tricked. He's been tricked, and in his rage, he knows he's got to go to plan B. He's going to protect his throne He's got to make sure Jesus is dead. So he figures this out. Who do I have to kill to make sure it's Jesus? And he wipes out all males, because obviously Jesus is a male. So I'm going to take males who are all anything under two, and I'm going to wipe them out just to make sure that Jesus is around no more. And most scholars think with the size of this area and the amount of the population at the time and all these things, most people think it was between 20 and 25 boys were murdered at the hands of Herod that day. All because of Jesus coming into the world, threatening Herod's power and threatening um, 
just who Herod was, what he'd become as a king. Now, when anyone's confronted with Jesus, taking all barriers aside, we should worship. Any human beings confronted with who Jesus is, we should worship. We should fall down before him and worship. We should respond like the wise men did. That's how a human should respond when confronted with the news of Jesus. But when Jesus comes into our life, those of us who are followers, followers of him in this room, can we honestly say when he comes into our life and says, I want to be your king, I want your allegiance, I want you to honor me, I want all of you, not just parts of you, I want all of you, and I want you to honor me as your king. How many of us, 100% of the time, can say we just we act totally, we're okay with that? Yeah, Jesus, come in. I'm going to give all my life to you. I'm going to give all my stuff to you. I'm going to, all of my life is yours. I don't think any of us can truly say 100% of the time we're on board with Jesus demanding our allegiance to him as king. And so I want us to see that, yeah, Herod's a, a bad dude. Herod's a bad dude. But the thing that causes him to react the way he did is inside all of us. We all have these little Herods in different parts of our life where if Jesus gets close to that, or if he demands that thing, we're like, nope, you can have all these things, but you can't have that. You're not taking this. Yeah, you can be my king in all these areas, but I'm going to stay on the throne here. I'm going to make my decisions here. We're all guilty of this. We all have this propensity to be Herod, depending on what area we're talking about. We don't like authority, naturally. We don't like people telling us what to do. We're by nature selfish. We like ourselves. If you just ask yourselves the question, what do you think about most often? It's probably you. Your needs, your desires, what you want. Take, take a look at social media. Like when you're on social media, like when you're, when you're putting yourself out there, when you're communicating some things about you, to the world, what do you put out there? Stuff about you to, to make you look good or to make Jesus look good or someone else look good? Okay? When Jesus says, I want to be the Lord of your life, he wants your relationships. He wants to be the Lord of your finances, your career, your kids. This is what Jesus is asking for when he wants to be Lord of our lives. They don't want to be a co-pilot. They don't want to be a buddy. They don't want to be a friend. He wants all of it. He wants us to trust him with our life. And when we hear things like that, how do we react deep down? Because we're probably similar, similar, more similar to Herod than we would like to admit. We want to keep Jesus at arm's length, in, at least in certain areas of our life. Because when we view Jesus as king, it comes up against what we value most. It comes up against what the Bible would call our treasure what we deem most valuable to us. In Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's like, wherever you're, whatever you value most, whatever's your treasure, whatever you want to be the, 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 the king over, that's what you're worshiping. That's what you find most valuable. That's where you find your security. And when Jesus comes into our life, for all of us, on a day-to-day basis, we're confronted with this question. Is he my king or am I going to be my king in these areas? 
for me, as I was reflecting on my own life this week and thinking through how this shows up on a, on a daily basis with me, two quick areas I thought about didn't take long. One, time. Like, when I think of my time, it's my time. No, I, yeah, I get it. It's, God, it's, it's I, if Every breath I have is from God, and I need to be a steward of my time. I get it. But when it comes really down to it, it's my time. I want to organize it the way it is. It, I, I get to do those things with my time. Yeah, I get my life's a mist. Here today, gone tomorrow. What, everything we do, do it all for the glory of God. But it's still my time, God. It's still my time. I, that's a hard one for me to be open-handed with. Another one's my marriage and my family. My family. God tells me to be a servant leader in my home to Nicole and Jax, to lay down my life as I lead them at home. But on a day-to-day basis, no, I, I want to look out for me. Where are my needs going to be met? Where am I going to get my time? Where am I going to get my space? Where am I going to get my energy filled up? So every day, there's, for me, there's these, the, the, the battles that Jesus says, this is my area and this is how you react to that, or I can choose the opposite. I've used this example before, but our son Jax is, just turned two a couple of months ago. So those of you who have been through this stage, like, you know what we're wrestling with now. Like, the great thing about the kids being an example of this is because they have no filter. Like our little Herods in our life, we've kind of known what to, what to kind of keep pushed down when we're around people to still look like, like good people and upstanding people. We're not going to lash out most often for most things. But a two-year-old could care less what anyone thinks of them at the moment. They're going to tell you what they want, when they want it, right now. They're going to throw a fit. He's going to yell mine. He's going to yell no. He's going to say, you know, whatever. He's going to take things from people if he wants them. Like, you can see his Herod really, really easy. You can see it, okay? And I think looking at a a kid at the age of two or three, we get this unfiltered view of how we just battle God for control and authority of our lives. I think another way to think about this is ask yourself uh, the question, like, do you live in such a way that is honoring or pleasing to God only when it doesn't cost you something. Like think of when you honor God and, you do, and, you're, and you're attempting to please God, do you do those things when God's not asking of something that's going to cost you something? So as, as long as I don't have to give up my authority or my control or my power in this area, yeah, I'll do exactly what God has to say in his word. But then when he starts to press in on these areas, I'm like, eh, I don't know. God, I don't know if I'm willing to give this up. Some examples in the scripture. Jesus says, if you have something against someone, if you're you're bitter towards someone, it needs to be your highest priority to go to that person and make amends. Now, that's a hard, hard thing to walk out. But Jesus is saying, here's the way. Here's how you can be, here's how I can be king in your life in this area. And we're so quick to, nah, that's too uncomfortable. That's too humbling. That's too scary. Another one is loving our neighbor. God puts people in our path to love. It's like the good Samaritan. And so oftentimes someone comes in our path that we know we should love, but because it's going to be an inconvenience to us, it's going to cost us time. We have plans. We're going somewhere. I can't do this right now. We say, no, it's going to cost me something. Therefore, I'm not going to walk out the things you're wanting me to walk out 
in my life. Talk about, we go on and on, we talk about church life. Okay? God tells us to be in a community of people, give, our, give of ourselves to love, of our, love our brothers and sisters in Christ. But being involved in church life can cost us a lot. We need to show up to things when it's not convenient with us because our brothers and sisters depend on us. So we show up. We show up on Sunday mornings. We show up to missional community. When we're called to serve, we show up. Now, all those things can cost us. And again, we have that decision to walk the way that God wants us to walk or to not. I'm trying to paint a picture of you that this idea of Jesus becoming king in our life, it affects us every single day. And we just need to be aware of where the battle's fought. It's fought deep down. That's why Jesus talks in terms of treasure in our heart. And most of us have no idea what it means to live under a king, at least an earthly king. We have no idea. We don't have that political system unless you've lived in another country who has a king. We just don't get that in our country, at least in our culture. So we don't understand this. So when we say Jesus is king, even as a baby, he... We have our tough time just thinking, and not only is he a baby, so seeing him grow up, but also grow up to be a king. But listen to some of the things that Jesus says in his gospels. He says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. He says, be still to a raging storm on the Sea of Galilee. He connects with a woman who's been guilty of, uh, of adultery and he's, she's about to get stoned by an angry mob. He steps in, defends her against an angry mob, loves her well and tells her, I, I forgive you, go and sin no more. He, this is a man, a king who weeps over his friend Lazarus who's passed away, showing raw human emotion. This is a king who rides humbly in on a donkey to give up his life, to lay it down for people who were rebellious and not worth him laying his, his life down for. And we have a king that says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to God except they come through me. There's not multiple ways to God. There's not other gods. The only way to the God of the Bible is through me. Very exclusive there in that statement because he is king. And he can be exclusive. So I think we know, most of us know on this side of the story, we know how this baby would grow up. We know how he would die. We know he would rise from the dead. We know he ascends back to the Father. He conquers sin, Satan, and death and forgives us our sins. And we live on this side of that. And we can look back and celebrate that. But, but during this time of year, we also need to look forward. We also need to look forward in anticipation for the second coming because we know those things are true as well. So when we are thinking about this baby Jesus, we need to also remember him in his fullness as he did his ministry on earth and what he's going to come to do. Listen to Revelation 19, 11 through 16. Maybe try to maybe compare this to our view of baby Jesus. Then I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. The one sitting on it is called faithful. This is Jesus and true. And in righteousness, he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed in a robe dipped in blood and the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepresses of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So this is how Jesus is coming back the second time. To set up his new heavens and new earth and reign forever. So the same Jesus we celebrate in the manger, it's the same Jesus. And we need to remember that. That Jesus is going to come back as a victorious king. And those of us who are in Christ, those of us who are following him, who've professed faith, this is really, really good news. This is really good news that Jesus is going to make war on sin and Satan and make everything right. He's going to bring peace through the sword, through, through, through a war, but he's going to bring peace. So when we think about forgiveness and grace and mercy, that's part of Jesus. But when you think of holiness and righteousness and justice, that's also part of Jesus. And we see that very clear in Revelation 19. See, Jesus is passionate for his glory. He's passionate uh, for his name, that he wants people to worship him above all things. And yes, he's jealous, but this is so much for our good. Because he knows that he is, the, he is the only one who can satisfy us. He is the way, the truth, and the life. We have abundant life through him. He gives us all freedom and joy. He's the fountain of living water. All of these things he promises us to be to us. He wants us to experience those things. So yes, he's for his glory. Yes, he's for his, to, to, to be worshipped. And he wants that above everything else because that's what's best for us. If we worship him and, and his glory is the main thing that we're after in our life, it only benefits us. When we put something above him, we lose access to freedom and joy that is found only in him and glorifying him. So right now we live in a period where God's patient with us. This Jesus hasn't come back yet. We're awaiting that. But there'll be a time when this period ends. This period that we live in now will end. And we need to be aware of that. And be ready. Those of us who are in Christ, who are Christians, we should, this should give us great hope that our King, our Savior, is going to come back and make all things right. All the tears that you've shed will be made right. The pain you're experiencing now will be made right. The suffering that you're experiencing right now will be made right if you're in Christ. That is such good news. But for those of us who are not Christians, who aren't followers of Jesus, um, we need to know that. We need to know that this is a time where God is patient with us, with humans. But there will be a day when he um, comes back to judge, like, the, like Revelation just told us. So I want to I quickly say something to also this, this time of year. I know some of you in here are, are hurting this, and those, those feelings are, are heightened this time of year, and you're really tired of cheesy jingles on the radio saying that you should enjoy the magical time of this year. For those of you who are enjoying it, keep, keep enjoying it. Hallelujah. But for some of you who are just tired of it, like you don't feel it, so culture, stop trying to make me feel a way that I don't want to feel right now. And I know some of you are there. You're lonely. You've suffered a loss. This time of year reminds you of something that you don't want to be reminded of. And I think sometimes 
because maybe it's, it's the, the, baby, the baby Jesus coming and the incarnation and all of that surrounded by a lot of stuff during this time of year, I think that can lose maybe some of its power, especially when we're hurting. But I would encourage you to look at who Jesus comes back as and that all of your, whatever you're suffering now, all of your loneliness, all of your pain, it will be brought to an end. Your king will come back in power and he will reign and things will be made right. So if you just need something to hold on to, some, some level of hope right now, think about when Jesus comes back because this will get better. It's guaranteed to get better. If not on this side of heaven, when Jesus comes back. So to, to, to wrap us up here, there's three kinds of people. You can be indifferent, and all of, us can, all of us can be these kinds of people. We can be indifferent, like the religious leaders. We can be hostile and rebellious and just kind of push Jesus away to being king in our life, kind of like Herod did. Or we can worship, like the wise men did. You notice they brought gifts. They, they fell down. They rejoice with exceedingly great joy. So if you ask, well, what does it look like to worship? These, those are some ways. Be humble before him. Be joyful when you worship. Not just when we sing, but all week long. Be joyful when you worship. And I think with these gifts, like Jesus as a baby and Jesus now doesn't need our gifts. Like he, he doesn't need us to give him gifts. What this gifts represent is things that are dear to us, things that are valuable to us. We let go of those things on behalf of who he is. So it's a symbol of us letting go, us laying stuff down before him. Because if we're watching this happen, to give up something that is dear to you and lay that down at Jesus' feet, it actually shows more about what the one who you're giving those gifts to. So if you're watching someone do this, you may say, the, the, the one who they're giving these gifts to must be worthy. Must be worthy of glory, must be worthy of honor, must be worthy of worship. So the gifts is just a way we express what's going on inside of us. God doesn't need our gifts. Jesus doesn't need our gifts. He, baby Jesus didn't need the gifts of the wise men. But it was what they had. It was valuable to them to show how Jesus was king in their life, that they were submissive and that they were obedient. And they were saying, Jesus, you're my king, and I'm willing to give anything to follow you and to worship you. So when we here in a second take communion, think about this. When we sing uh, the final song today, Think about this. Like God doesn't need what we have to offer him. He's pleased when we do it because he knows that that's us giving of our things, of our praise, of our value to him. And that makes him pleased when we do that. So I pray that we would, we would remember that, that when we worship, it communicates about who we're giving those things to. It's not that he needs our gifts. It's us laying our gifts down for the one who's worthy of our worship. Let's pray. Father, once again, I thank you for your word. I thank you that um, this is a, a story that all connects together. That during this time of year, we don't simply worship a baby. We do that, but it's so much more than that. That this baby would grow up, would do ministry, would die, be resurrected, would ascend back to heaven where he's reigning right now, and one day he will come back to make all things right in a final judgment. And I, I just pray that um, 
that we feel the weight of that, but not in a, in a, in a depressing way or a fearful way, that we, but we, would, we would celebrate that this, this is meaningful. Like this time of year means something because it was the start of something. And we know the ending. And I pray that, we would, that your spirit would help us have hope. It would help us uh, identify with our king that he will have victory one day. So when we're struggling with sin or struggling with pain or struggling in relationships, that we can identify with one eventually that will make all things right. <coughs> and that brings great hope. And that changes the way we live in the here and now. I pray that we would continue in this, this, this attitude and posture of worship through the rest of our, our time today and even as we leave here. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Shortly before Jesus would go to the cross with his closest followers, he took bread and he said, this bread represents my body broken for you. And he took a cup he said, this cup represents my blood shed for you that would cover, covers past sins, covers present struggles and sins, and covers future sins. And if you're in Christ and you have faith, you can bank on Jesus covering sins, his righteousness for us. So here's what I want us to do for the next few minutes. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, I want, to, I want you to, just for a few minutes, think about those areas in your life that maybe there's, you would maybe call them little Herods. You, you're, you're slow to give those things up. And take, take a few minutes to, to, to reflect on that. I've been doing it all week, and it's been very helpful. Not necessarily pleasant all the time, but it's helpful to be self-aware and to realize these are the areas that I, I, I'm not experiencing freedom and joy because I haven't given these things to God. So take some time to do that. But if you're a follower of Jesus, here's what I want you to do. We're not going to follow him perfectly. None of us will. But all of us today are going to take back that throne and live for ourselves. But this is why we're doing communion, to remind ourselves of the grace, to remind ourselves that Jesus died a death for us that all of us deserve to die because we're not perfect. And he lived a perfect life of perfection to, 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 to live that life that we couldn't live. And he gave us the, 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 the seal of approval that, that he is indeed the Savior when he came back and rose three days later and conquered sin, Satan, and death, and, we, and he's still alive. And this is how we know he is our Savior. And then when he says he's going to come back, he's going to come back one day. And we can bank on that. So when you get up to come take communion, I want you to get up knowing that you're a, you're a forgiven sinner. That his grace and his mercy are available for you. And let that identity, let that truth wash over you and cause you to, to want to go out and follow this beautiful Savior we had. Unlike Herod, when, when Herod was... Um, rebelled against, just executing, getting rid of people. This is a king, when we fail him, the punishment has already been paid by himself. So when we fail, we don't immediately get executed. We can ask for forgiveness and be brought, be brought back near to Christ. So I pray that if, if you're struggling with feeling his grace and mercy, please 
please know that and remember that before you take communion because you need to walk out of here knowing that you're a forgiven sinner only by his grace and mercy and nothing you did. So if you're, and if you're here today and you're not a Christian, and I, I encourage you to believe, to believe and receive his grace and mercy. It, that is, it is open to all sinners, all kinds of sinners. These wise men weren't religious people. They were off studying all sorts of weird things. But there was something about Jesus that compelled them to say, yes, I believe in him. I want to give my life to him. So if that's you here, come forward and take communion, maybe for your first time. But tell somebody. Tell somebody of, of the decision you've made. Friend or somebody, or come find me and talk to me. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you're still thinking about this and, you're, and, and, and you have questions and this seems all a little weird to you, that's okay. We want you to, 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 to think about this and pray over this and talk to people. But I would just encourage you to, to not let these questions go. Because Jesus is going to come back one day. And so this is of utmost urgency that you process this truth. But I'd love to do that with you. I'd love to go out to lunch or grab coffee or something to talk with you through this. But if that's describing you, just stay where you're seated because what we're about to do is for people who are followers of Jesus only, who have faith in who Jesus is and what he has done. So take a few minutes. We have one station in the back and two communion stations in the front and come forward or head to the back whenever you're ready.